As I was planning today's episode, I was thinking about a song by Jack Johnson, which is called Good People. And in the song, he asks the question, where did all the good people go? And I think that's a really good question to ask today, because where have all the good people who we want to hire gone? That is something a lot of our clients are asking. By the way, that song is now 17 years old. I couldn't believe that when I was thinking about it and I looked it up and was looking up the lyrics, 17 years old. Anyway, um, so where did all the good people go is the topic of conversation for today. We're talking about how you can find more good people and retain good people to work in commercial real estate. Stick around. Welcome to CRE Success, the podcast. Check us out online at cresuccess.co forward slash podcast. And now he's your host, Darren Krakowiak. Hello and welcome to episode 119 of CRE Success, the podcast. My name's Darren Krakowiak. I help commercial real estate leaders to develop their people and to grow their business. It's nearly Christmas if you're listening to this very soon after we've released it. It is nearly Christmas. And if you are celebrating the holiday season, I hope that you do have a very special time. But also, even if you're not celebrating, this year and this time of year, I think, is an opportunity to be thankful for what you have and also generous towards somebody else who is less fortunate than you. So I hope you do take the opportunity to do that. Now, in today's episode, I'm having a conversation with Tom Wallace. Tom is the founder of commercial property management software firm Released, and we're talking about how commercial real estate agencies can attract and retain quality people that will help them to grow their business. It's something that I do a lot of work with directly with my clients inside the CRE Success Leadership and Coaching Program. If you want more info on that, go to cresuccess.co forward slash leadership, leave your information and we can have a conversation to see if you're a good fit and if, you know, we are a good match to work together to help you too develop your people and to grow your business. But for now, I think listening to today's episode will really help you get an insight into some of the ways that myself and Tom look at leadership, the importance of self-awareness, how important it is to understand yourself if you want to be able to lead others, and a lot more. A really fascinating conversation. I want to say thank you to Tom for having me on his podcast. This is the whole interview from that episode of Tom's podcast, and it's here for you right now. I am Tom Wallace. I'm the founder of Released Commercial Property Management Software, and I'm here with Darren Krakowiak from CRE Success. Hi, Darren. How are you? Hey, Tom. I'm doing good. Awesome. Did I, did I pronounce your last name correctly? You nailed it. It was awesome. Nailed I loved it. it. Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. Hey, I'm great. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for um, making the time to join us today. I thought it'd be great to just crack on straight into it. And if you could just give us a little bit of a background on yourself, on CRE success, on your journey in commercial real estate today? I started in commercial real estate in 2001 here in Australia, where I'm from. I'm in Melbourne, but I had a little bit of a detour on my way to where I am now in the form of 11 and a half years living in and working in Seoul, South Korea. So I was sent over there in 2007 by JLL, um, was uh, recruited by CBI to run their business in 2015. So I was exposed to a, a lot of different opportunities and culture and all sorts of different aspects that I wouldn't have been given the opportunity to have if I'd stayed in Australia. So that was wonderful and picked up a wife along the way and 
came back to Australia in 2019. And after a year back in Australia, I launched this business, which is CRE Success, where I I work with commercial real estate leaders to develop their people and to to grow their business. Fantastic. We'll we'll dive a bit more into CRE Success, but it's just a fascinating background. I don't think there's there won't be a huge pool of people who have worked in in Seoul as well as throughout Australia. So just on the surface, what are, what are some of the, the major differences in the way that those uh, the real estate industry or, or the cultures work between the two regions? So the commercial real estate market in Korea only really opened up to international investors after the what they call over there the IMF crisis, which was the Asian economic crisis. So one of the reforms was to allow um, international investors into that market. So that was a huge change in itself. And that's when the likes of your CBREs and JLLs started to come into the market. Um, one of the big differences there versus here that I would note is one, they still have very high deposits that are required for all tenants. So this is this old system they had called a Chonsei system where the rent that you would pay would not actually be a rent. You just give a deposit to the landlord that you would then collect at the end of the lease term and the landlord could then do whatever they want with that money. Now, they do have more of a monthly system of rental payment now, but it's still, I feel like a relic of the past is this high deposit. And it doesn't matter if you're released, if you're Samsung, or if you're just Mr. Kim's dental surgery, you must pay the big deposit because the landlord is very focused on making sure that big deposit is paid. So that was sort of one big difference. And I guess in terms of more the cultural aspects, I would say, look, Korea is a very hierarchical culture. And so people are very focused on how old you are and also what your title is. And within an organization, people do not call each other by their first name. They call each other by their title. So if your your title is founder or CEO, that's what all of your colleagues would call you. They wouldn't call you Tom. And uh, other people are called. I, like, you know, I love it. Yeah. So it's, it. it's good to be at the top. If, but when <laughs> you really notice when you're promoted, obviously, because people start calling yeah. you a different name. Um, uh. So another sort of little example I could give you about how important hierarchy and and age is in Korea, one of the first things that people want to find out about you is how old you are. Because if we know who's older, then we know who has the the seniority in in a conversation and in a relationship. So if there isn't a work relationship to determine who is more senior, then we'll want to know who's older to then determine how we act in certain social situations. and even the language that is used in Korean language with each other. Um, so it's just socially acceptable just to ask how old you are or is it a little bit more roundabout way of getting, the, getting that information? They can be pretty direct with certain things. In fact, that's another thing that I would say about Korea. So if you come into work and you're looking a little bit dusty, you will be told directly that you look like that. Or if you've put on a couple of kilos, that you'll be told that you've put on a couple of kilos. It's, it's, it's quite direct well. in that way, even though, there are other parts of the culture which are quite indirect, as you'd expect more in Asian cultures where people sort of like relationships have to be really well developed before we start talking about the sale, for example. So there's a lot of dichotomies in there. Um, but yeah, people asking people's age is, is not a, a thing that's not done. It's acceptable because that's just to determine how we can then interact with each other in a socially acceptable way. Well, okay. That's, um, yeah, I mean, the title thing I can get around, I'm not sure I'd like to be told I was fat. Every day coming into work, but um, I don't know. Maybe give it, maybe give me the motivation I need to um to sharpen up. Uh, it's, it's super interesting, and and the uh, so is the the large deposit. I, I know that there's been a few startups, and that some of them are a little bit more established now. Businesses 
around the world. I'm not sure about in Korea, but now the number of businesses who do this sort of zero deposit, so the tenant basically pays a, an insurance every month. So rather than fronting up with, say, $20,000 deposit, they pay 100 bucks a month or whatever the number is. The landlord gets paid out by the, by the company straight away, and so they get their lump sum. So you'd, you'd think that's a business that would go pretty well in, in Korea when you've obviously got, like for a new business going in and, and uh, fronting up with a, a whole bunch of cash up the up front is it's going to be challenging to to put down for a deposit. So yeah, the, the going rate is there's a startup idea. Boom, there you go. The going rate is ten months rental as the deposit. So that's oh, okay, that's yeah. what the landlords are generally looking for. Yeah, it's a lot of cash to to stump up for it for for a deposit. That's for sure. Um, hey, let's um let's roll forward. So back into Australia um, with CRE Solutions. Just could you give us a little more background on on what you do there and how you work with real estate leaders? Yeah, so I started up CRE Success in 2020, and I really kind of, um, I guess after being back in Australia for a year, I kind of noticed a couple of things. One was that there were a lot of people who were providing the type of service that I now provide to the residential sector, but not really doing it specifically to the commercial industry. And commercial is this huge industry, as you well know, but I believe it's underserviced when it comes to training, speaking leadership development. So there was sort of that opportunity, but also I saw what I felt was um, some instances of poor leadership in the industry when I came back to Australia. And I thought that that was an opportunity, not so much in terms of leadership coaching. I more just saw it as a way that people were looking for help. And I thought that that was a gap that I could then fill. But what I've actually discovered is that where I can create the most impact in my business is to actually focus on commercial real estate leaders and particularly for leaders of independent commercial real estate service firms and also people who are running their own franchises under some of the the franchised commercial real estate brands that exist. Because I think those people who are also entrepreneurs are really committed to being the best leaders that they can be. And if I can put out content and if I can share some ideas that I've got about leadership that resonates with them and let them know that I've got a framework and a system that can help them grow their business, but also become better leaders for their people, then that is something where a match is more uh, readily identified than I think before, where I was just trying to provide sort of general commercial real estate coaching. And it it wasn't specific enough. So I think the riches are in the niches, as they say. And when I focused a bit more and got more clear about what I was looking to do and the problem I was trying to solve, you know, the business has started to perform more consistently since then. Yeah, yeah, nail your niche is, is, is what we say as well. It's, um, yeah, it uh, makes a lot of sense to narrow the focus, increase the quality. That's great. Uh, and, and we've always thought like real estate itself, there's not, uh, it sounds like a, a, a good gap for you to fill because you know, we bring people into the industry from all over, you know, into the software, into the real estate industry. And often they'll ask, hey, what can I read or what can I learn or where's the, where's the resources online so I, can, so I can upskill in commercial real estate before I start or once I've started. And there's not a lot out there. You know, it's something we've looked at a lot. There's just not not a lot of great material, um, and so to some be someone that provides education and training and coaching would be really valuable. And um, I guess one area I wanted to touch on as well is is clearly a labour shortage. Um, this isn't specific to this industry. Um, who knows if it'll change? Now there's a lot of layoffs happening in in different sectors, so that may bring some labour back into the market. But as it stands, for the last sort of 12, 18, 24 months, there's been a real labour shortage, and a lot of our customers in the real estate space when we talk to them, when we train them, we'll ask us if we know anyone who's available because they're just so short-staffed. Yeah, We're trying to do our bit by trying to automate some of those more manual tasks so you can run a more efficient business. Um, but obviously, 
you know, training people and, and bringing people who are from outside the industry is really important. And just wonder if you uh, you could sort of share how you have been a part of that. And and I guess if there's any sort of your customers who have transformed their business off the back of, you know, really investing in their staff and their leadership rather than just bringing people in and giving them a phone and a desk and saying, off you go. Totally. So you've touched on a few things that I really do sort of focus on and try and help my clients with. Um, part of it is hiring for attributes and attitude, not just for experience and expertise. And there are places that we can look. So for example, industries that are shrinking or that are in decline are places that we can look or industries which have a similar requirement in terms of what we're trying to achieve in terms of outcomes or results. So if we only focus on hiring people that have the experience or expertise that we're looking for, then it's going to be a very narrow pool of people that we're able to get. And what we're doing isn't rocket science. So if we can look more at the attributes and the attitudes, and if we have really good systems and processes, then we're more confident to be able to bring people in and to be able to get them to where they need to be. So uh, what you're doing in your business in terms of providing a lot more opportunities for automation and outsourcing and just creating more process around what's happening in property management, I think is really valuable because if we've got more systems and processes, then we can be more also definitive about the type of people who we want in our business. So I think right now in property management, that's that's where the real skill shortage is for most of my clients in the property management space. And some of them are hanging on to people who don't fit with the culture of the organization because they're just they're just worried about either losing that person's know-how and they're also worried that if they can't if they go they can't replace them. Now if more of the work that we're doing is automated or if it's um, if it's if the process is documented and if we're able to outsource more, then we have a little bit more flexibility to let go of people who perhaps don't fit with our culture. And we can then also, by the fact that we're automating and outsourcing some of the more simplified and repetitive tasks, we can also elevate the role of the people who are staying within the organization, which allows them to think more strategically and also makes them more uh, engaged and adding more value to what we're doing. So what you mentioned before sort of struck a chord with me based on that. Um, Another area that I think is a real opportunity for our industry is diversity, equity, and inclusion. And when you speak to people outside of probably the big firms, and I was speaking at a a commercial real estate national network conference last week, and we were talking about this topic, and I said, this is an opportunity for you to grow your business. And I put up DE and I on the screen, and nobody in the room knew what it stood for. And um, then I said, look, this is diversity, equity, and inclusion. This is an opportunity for our industry because if we look at our industry right now, it's it's pretty white, it's pretty male, it's pretty private school background dominated when we're looking at agents. And if we can just cast a wider net and give more people an opportunity, not only will that help us grow our business because we'll have a wider pool of people to choose from, it's going to help us get a greater diversity of ideas, which could lead to more innovation inside our business. Potential clients will see themselves reflected in the business. So they're more likely to want to do business with us if they can see a commitment to diversity, equity, and inclusion in our business because either they see themselves reflected in the business or you know, some bigger companies, that's a checkbox for them when they're doing procurement to see that it's not just the old school three guys coming up to pitch, that we've got some diversity and some commitment to DE&I and I in the business. Um, How far through but- do you think the on that on that journey do you think the industry is? Because it, it does seem, I mean, 
you know, we're um, we are interesting in that we our business sort of straddles two industries, right? We're we uh, we're a software company, so you know, quite progressive and in, in as an industry generally, it's um, always been quite progressive. And then we're in the commercial real estate industry as well. So that's a, that's where our customers are, and uh, probably not as progressive. And it's it's been really interesting just what to watch the difference, and and seeing basically seeing real estate lag behind. What where do you see it on the journey? Um, yeah, I would say that it there's more work to be done, but I can see that particularly some of the bigger firms, to give them credit, they have tried, and you know they are deliberately looking to promote more more women, for example, into positions of leadership. They're more, they do talk they talk a lot about these issues as well, whereas previously they weren't really really talking about them. But I think that it is still a bit of a state industry in terms of the way it looks and feels, and when you go to some of the functions. Like I noticed when I got back to Australia, just the gender imbalance when you'd go to conferences was huge. And I kind of thought that because I was in Korea, that that was a Korean thing at the time because Korea is a, a quite a, um, a patriarchal society in itself. But when I got back to Australia, I saw it was the same here, even though people are talking about those issues. So um, I guess though, talking about it, recognizing there is a problem is the first step to addressing it. Uh, but yep. there's a long way to go. So I think we're we've got more work to do in that area. And it's not just about gender, of course. It's also about, you know, disability. It's about people's um, sexual orientation. It, it can even be around things like age. I mentioned before, you know, private schools. I think there is a tendency for people to hire people based on, uh, it's a big thing here in Melbourne, actually, about what school you went to. So giving people opportunities that come from different socioeconomic backgrounds. These are all ways that we can promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I think that that topic and that statement is really just about does the organization seem inviting to people that come from positions or identities which aren't of privilege? And if you can see it, you can be it. So I think if people can see themselves, like I said before, reflected in the organization, then it's more likely to seem inviting to them. Yeah, it's like very I mean, there's so many reasons to take that diversity and take that to take it seriously and so many advantages that would come from that. I mean, obviously diversity of thought. Being a big one, but also at, at, you know, at, at a very basic level, you're obviously expanding your talent pool massively, right? If you're not just looking in one small little area, farm, you can look everywhere, and you can bring remote work into that too, right? It's like that. It doesn't have to be your small little crew who is in your neighbourhood or in your wider neighbourhood. You can look anywhere, and if you open your mind up, you'll find fantastic talent and fantastic people everywhere who can add real value to what you're doing. But you do have to embrace a new way. Well, you don't have to embrace it, but those that do embrace it are going to get the advantages, I think, anyway, and we believe that very deeply. You touched on something before, which I think is really interesting. Um, you talked about culture and not a good culture fit and the damage that can do. And I was just wanting to know a little bit more about how you work with leaders, how leaders think about it, because it's a tricky one when, particularly in a tight hiring market, you've got someone that's not a good culture fit. Clearly not, you know, they're not great for the business, but they, you know, they've got their key client relationships. They run a book of business, whatever it is. It's not always, you know, it's not easy to, to take a call and say, actually, we're going to put culture first ahead of this, you know, this one individual and, and what they bring. Can you just run us through, like, you know, how, how a leader should think about that? And then what is the impact it could have from having someone who is a bad culture fit and uh, perhaps not moving on them? Yeah. So culture, I think, is just about the way things are done. It's about the values that we believe are important. And mm -hmm. A lot of the time, the leader is responsible for uh, the values that are considered important in an organization. And we've got to remember that if we have our own business, that 
as the leader, the business is a reflection of you. So if we're going to have people come into the organisation who aren't a good cultural fit, and that can then reflect poorly on us if we are pursuing business above the greater good of the culture. And I think that when leaders are very clear about what's important to them and what they value, and when they talk about those things and when they can communicate it clearly, it acts as a magnet to the people who are consistent with being able to contribute positively to that culture. And it will act as a repellent to people who are not able to be consistent with that culture. So it's really up to the leader to be very clear about who they are, what's important, and how things are done inside the organization. So people who aren't able to, I guess, rise to that are then not attracted to or likely to join that organization. And if you, if everyone's very clear, but the leader then makes a decision to hire someone who doesn't fit with that cultural sort of nuance, then, you know, they're, they're compromising their values and they're putting the culture that they've built at risk, which is very risky because that can result in people leaving the organization. And this, the research nowadays shows that mobility in terms of people's willingness to leave an organization is the highest it's been in 10 years. So people since COVID have been more willing to leave for flexibility, for how they feel about the values of the organization. And of course, culture is a big part of that. So if we're going to put our culture at risk for the sake of one higher, then we're actually placing a whole lot more at risk than um, the culture. We're placing at risk the very thing that we've spent all these years building. Yeah, that's interesting. I imagine in some industries it would be the highest it's ever been. I would think the um, flexibility to move or the desire to, to move around if things don't align. How how um how values driven do you see the companies you work with? I mean, I think the values of most real estate companies traditionally or many have been always be closing basically close the deal and uh, that was about it. But how, how values driven do you think the industry is moving or has moved? I think it's, there are, there's company values. And, but what I recommend what I do with my clients is yes, you can work for a brand or maybe if you're a franchisee, you might have the franchise values, but then you've got to have your own values as a leader and you've got to be able to communicate those with your people. And Quite often it can be something around, you know, we want to just be the best, you know, and I'm like, okay, great. Well, what does that mean and what does that look like and why is that important? So I think as long as we can communicate uh, what it is and why it matters and maybe even give us some sort of KPI to let us know that we're in the right direction to getting there, to achieving that value and to implementing what it is that we're looking to achieve, then that's that's where we want to get to. And I, I think often people talk about, something to do with the success of the business. Um, quite often I see people talking about something to do with re- integrity or um, trustworthiness or respect and also something about the way people treat each other and the way that we either value our staff or that we treat our clients or that we we treat each other. And what I encourage my clients to do is it's not just enough for you to have those values. What you need to do is communicate those values with your team. And when you communicate your values with your team, and when they have been communicated and understood, when people don't keep up their end of the bargain by being consistent with those values, it becomes a much clearer conversation because we can say, rather than I didn't like what you did because I don't like it, you can say, that's not consistent with our values. And the conversation is much more clear when you can tie it back to values and those values have been clearly communicated with everyone. So I'm not worried if it, if, if people say, you know what, one of our values is, is that we make 50 sales calls every day. We can turn that into something which is 
whether it's persistence yeah. or whether it's you know high standards hustle, hustle or whatever or it is. hustle culture yeah but entrepreneurial uh, but as long as we can turn that into a value which can then be ref- that people can understand and point to when they're looking for what is the right thing to do within the context of them going about their day then that's what I encourage people to do and make sure that they're really communicating it. Because people, if you just do it and expect everyone to see what it is that you're doing, that's often not enough. You need to say it. So explain to people what your values are. Also embody them with what you do. And then I think it's more reasonable for us to expect that people will will be acting in a way consistent with those values. Yeah, totally. Well, we're covering off some big topics here. We've we've gone through um, diversity, inclusion, values. What are the other big challenges that you're seeing and having to coach i mean this is a, it feels like a time where look i just think it's been a, it's been a pretty crazy time for the last few years to to run a business and lead a, lead a business no matter what sector and you've got obviously gone through covid potentially some sort of covid recovery now or at least hopefully a, a new world and then you have like a bit of a market crash off the back of that housing crash potentially who knows or a slowdown economic slowdown recession being talked about all sorts of new challenges and then layer on top of that things like you know flexible working working from home labor shortages there's a lot what what are the biggest issues uh that you're coaching through you're working through that you see on a yeah on a daily basis yeah, well, i don't know if it's the biggest one but based on the what you just sort of summarized there i would say it's the importance of investing in people and recognizing mm-hmm. that if we don't invest in people then there's a risk that either one of our competitors or even another industry will come in and develop those people. And I think when we're so busy and commercial real estate markets have been through, in spite of the fact of everything that's gone on, have been through another big upswing of obviously the last couple of months, we're in a more uncertain environment due to interest rates. It's been go, 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 go. And I don't think that people have had as much opportunity to really make sure that we're giving our people everything that they need in order to perform at their best. So making sure that we spend the time to develop our people, not just when there is a downturn or when there is time to do it, but to make sure that's something that we're continually doing. So we know that when markets do inevitably downturn, that we are not, if you like, uh, waiting for the market to come up again in order for us uh, to be propped up. Rather, we've done the work that will help us and help the business and help the people in the business be more consistent and be able to withstand those, you know, those sort of peaks and troughs that come through. So people development, I think, is something that people often do forget because they're too busy or because they think it's, I don't know, if they, it, it's just not always top of mind. But I think that- Especially in a kind uh, of hot market, right? In a hot market, growth growth hide, hides a lot of problems and hides a lot of sins. And it's when growth slows down that people start looking around going, oh, what, what's the core- fundamentals have we built here that um you know that, that we need re- we need to rely on when it's um not quite as as easy record profits and record revenues are a poor teacher of um any it, it, <laughs> it papers over a lot of the cracks that can exist yeah. and yeah. obviously when a market's hot the business will often keep growing in spite of some of those cracks that exist and making sure that we're developing our people and giving them what they need to perform at their best i think is something that um all businesses should should always focus on. And if you think that you're too busy to invest the time in your people, then that's probably a really good indication that you need to in, be investing the time in investing in your people. Yeah, yeah. Is it, I completely agree. Like it's a, it's a, um, you know, it's a very expensive way to run a business if you have 
a lot of people who just aren't trained, who don't know, you know, don't know which way to focus and, and, and aren't consistently learning. I think the industry is moving so fast that it's not just about training at the start either. It's about continued training and continued improvement throughout. It's, it's really interesting. Is there anything, we haven't really been able to crack this, but there's, is there any online resources or anything that you point to as well that supplement what you do that we can point people towards? Online resources in, in, in what regard do you mean? Sorry. Uh, is there any sort of anywhere you would look at to say if someone wanted to learn more about commercial real estate, now they're coming, they're relatively new into the industry. Is there a would you send them towards a a podcast, a YouTube video, or is it um you just haven't come like we we haven't come across anything fantastic either, but is or even some books that you steer clients towards? Um, I, I, there's some leadership books that I do, but from a commercial real estate perspective, and and the best book on commercial real estate in terms of how to be a good broker, and this guy is, I mean, he's not really a competitor, but he's 10, 20 times bigger than my business is, but he's probably the first specific commercial real estate coach there is. And that's um, Rod Santamosmo. And he's got a fantastic book, which is called Brokers Who Dominate. And I think it's just coming up on its 10 year anniversary. And yeah. if you want to know about some of the core skills that a commercial real estate agent needs to know, then I read that book, I think, 2011, 2000. Well, maybe it wasn't 2011 because it's a 10-year anniversary. But anyway, it was it was a long time ago. Maybe it was when it first came out. Maybe it was 2012. And if there would be one book that I would recommend from a, a brokerage standpoint in order to be consistent, in order to be someone who's got a real great presence in the market, then that would be the book I would go to, I guess. The lesson, my answer is that I need to write a book that I can direct people to. So yeah, if I'm asked that I question, it's... I can provide the resource. But Rod has got, I think, the best book ever written on um, commercial real estate. He had the best book until you write yours. We've come across two new business opportunities on this uh, on this call alone. This has been great. Awesome. <laughs> it's fantastic. Hey, I'm Darren. It's been great to chat. I really appreciate it. And it's, um, it's just fascinating learning what you're doing, you know, spotting that gap in the market and, you know, bringing your experience from from Asia, bring it back to Australia and, um, and really going for it. So congratulations on that. It's been great to talk and appreciate your time today. Thanks for listening to CRE Success, the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. For more information about the show, just check the show notes on your podcast app or visit us online at CREsuccess.co.